You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Good evening, everyone. My name is Ed, and um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you for a few minutes before we bring the band back up. Um, I want to talk to you this evening out of the book of Colossians. And this is a letter written by Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And he's writing this letter to a group of people he's never actually met personally. But it's very likely that this church, and he wants to encourage this church. And so um, uh, last week, Chad talked about how this first chapter really focuses on the supremacy of Christ. But I wanted to, I, I could not get past three verses that I was reading in preparation for tonight, and it's Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12, all right? So I want to I read them for you, and I want to unpack them for you, and pray that it, this is an encouragement to you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 says this, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, all right? In verse nine there, he says, and that we, conti um, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives. You know, there are some things that you can only get from the Holy Spirit. There are some things that the Spirit can give you that nothing else can give you. When the Holy Spirit releases something to your understanding, it can shift your life in a way that a thousand Bible studies would not. It can shift your life in a way that a hundred counseling sessions couldn't touch. There are just some things that when the Spirit drops into your soul, it unlocks something and it changes you. You know, in the Old Testament, when a Hebrew would touch something unclean, they would become unclean. And then when they would touch something that was cursed, they would become cursed. And so they, they lived these lives of, you know, absolute, you know, um, a lot of rules, a lot of Levitical laws. But Jesus comes along and he begins to walk on this earth and when he touches something that's unclean, instead of him becoming unclean, that thing becomes clean. And Jesus something, touches something that's cursed and turns it into a blessing. And he walked through the earth and he was this, 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 life-giving force on the earth. And I can't remember when it was, but it was about a couple of years ago I realized that, that I don't have to play quite so close to home all the time. I'm a therapist, 
and I work on the university campus. And I'm just so aware that I get to take the presence, the same presence that Jesus possessed. I get to take that into the office every single day that I go to work. And that I come up against things that are broken and things that are dirty and things that, that are unclean. And I get to be part of the ministry of Jesus where you take the unclean thing and it becomes clean. Just by walking into the room, you can change the room. And just by hosting the presence of God, we make an incredible difference. And you don't even have to say the name of Jesus. And they don't ever have to believe in Jesus for them to be touched by Jesus. Do you understand? And so it's just by wearing, hosting his presence, I can make a difference in the world. And that came to me one day, that just that, that phrase, hosting the presence of the Holy Spirit, it came to me and it shifted the way I live my life. And the Apostle Paul said there's, he's praying that you, these people would walk in this spiritual understanding. Richard Rohr said this, he said, we cannot attain the presence of God because we are already totally in the presence of God. What's missing for us many times is our awareness of his presence. And Paul is saying to live your life with such awareness and excitement and connection to the Holy Spirit that you are literally bursting with the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his will. That's the term it uses here. It talks about bursting with the knowledge of his will. For when I've read this verse all of my life, I used to think it was so that I could figure out what job God wanted me to do, what career I should choose, what is his will for my life. But this is so much more. It's talking about a dynamic way of living in relationship to the Holy Spirit that, that you, you, you're walking in this knowing almost on a, on a moment by moment, on a day by day, week by week basis. Um, and this kind of spiritual awareness, this kind of spiritual connection doesn't happen because you gave your life to Jesus. It doesn't happen because you believed right. This kind of connection and awareness happens, requires intention. It requires time. Paul said this, he said, do not deceive yourselves. No one makes a fool of God because you reap exactly what you plant. You want corn, plant corn. You want peas, plant peas. And while we know that works in the garden, so often we think that we can plant corrupted, useless seeds in our mind and in our hearts on a regular basis and we wonder why our lives suck. We wonder why nobody wants to hang out with us. When I think about the corruptible seeds that I, I just simply tolerate critical and negative seeds in your life make you a critical negative human being. Worry, seeds of worry. And some of us in this room carry worry around like it's part of us. If you had no worry, you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. You're so used to just holding on to worry. And if you stop worrying about that thing, you'll find something else to worry about. And it's making you a very anxious human being. 
If you've got your phone in your hand, how many apps do you have open? Just look at your phone. How many apps? Don't, you don't have to tell me. I'm going to guess some of you in this room have at least 10, and others have as many as 20. When you have that many apps open, it drains your battery. It kills your battery. Okay? How many apps do you have open up here? How many worries and regrets and fears and anxieties do you have going on up here? And if you want to actually be functioning optimally, you need a little better mental health care and you need to learn to shut some of these apps off. And if you don't have any power to do anything about this thing, then let it go. But most of us don't do that. We just decide to keep worrying about it. Something else I've learned to do is that if, if, if I've got something that's bugging me, a meeting I'm not looking forward to, or a difficult conversation I'm not looking forward to, I simply put it on the calendar. It's going to happen there. And I simply refuse to worry about it until the calendar date hits. And then I'll figure out how we're going to address that. But my old way was to just hang on to it and freak out about it until the day comes. And what happens is, is that, you know, take a perfectly clean pond, a pond of water that fosters an entire life-giving ecosystem for a host of God's creation, a host of his creatures. You take that beautiful pond. It is a good thing. Man, it is a life-giving thing then pollute that thing, corrupt it, pollute it. And it begins to corrupt absolutely everything it touches. Everything it was created to be a blessing and to be life-giving for, it actually pollutes it. And human beings are the same way. Polluted people pollute. Polluted people pollute. And corrupted thoughts create polluted people. They, they, they are relational wrecking balls. They go through life and they don't even realize that they sour relationship after relationship after relationship. No one makes a fool of God. You can believe in Jesus. You can have asked him into your heart, but if you're taking two hours a week to sow some incorruptible seed and then the rest of the week you sow a bunch of crap seeds your garden will be full of crap. Your garden will be full of weeds. And then you go, I don't understand why God's not blessing me. Well, because you're sowing bad seed. Peter, 1 Peter 1 describes God's words to you as incorruptible seeds. And I know this, it may not happen in a day. It actually may not happen in a month. But if you will become intentional about sowing his word, however you get it in, whether you're listening to it or you're reading it, but if you on a regular basis allow his word, his presence to become the center of who you are, I promise you this, you will reap a harvest of righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness. By the way, you know, it is so incredibly freeing to live righteously, to live right. When you're living right, you're, you don't have to lie. When you're living right, you don't have to hide. You don't have to delete your, 
history on your internet usage. When you live right, you're not covering your tail constantly. You just get to live freely in righteousness. That, that, that is the way to live. Jesus said it this way. He said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if the eye is clear, the whole body will be full of light. Keeping your eye clean is about the desires of your heart. What do you want most? What do you crave for most? What do you long for most? Keeping your eye clear is about what you do daily. Because what you do daily is what you become permanently. What you do occasionally is what you are potentially, but it's what you do every day. That's if you're looking for your destiny out there, fine. But what your destiny will be what you do daily. Keeping your eye clear is about your focus and what you do daily. And uh, if you look at this, the sixth chapter of Matthew, there's a bunch of parables that Jesus tells before and after this one. And, what, and they explain what he's actually talking about. What he's saying is if you will put me at the center of your eye, the center of your heart, the center of your way of being. He said, then I will fill you with myself. He said, then your whole body will be full of light. I will fill you with me. You can have all of me. You can have my righteousness, my joy, and my peace as the operating system of your whole life. If you'll focus on me. And, and I'll say this to you that when Jesus is the, 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 the center of your desires, and I'm not talking about, I think, like, go and live your life. But when he informs your desires, when he informs what you do daily, when he informs what you're focused on, get this, your imagination becomes the most incredible thing you got going on in your life, your imagination. Albert Einstein said this, imagination is everything. It's the preview of life's coming attractions. Now think about this. The seed that you're sowing into your mind on a daily basis, the stuff, the self-talk that you do on a daily basis um, is, is what fuels your imagination. And I believe this next statement more than I've ever believed it before. And your imagination, your imagination is the birthplace of your destiny. It's the birthplace of your destiny. Nancy's an optometrist. She didn't used to be an optometrist. She used to be a high school student. And somewhere in a high school student's heart, the idea came. You know what? I should be an optometrist. And when you begin to imagine things, and you begin to, I think it's time to start paying attention to your imagination. You have no idea the beautiful things that God is doing on the playground of your imagination. I believe with all of my heart that your destiny is sitting there. There are things alive in you that, that, that God put there. And they give you joy when you think about them. They give you hope when you think about them. 
And they give you life when you think about them. And they do nothing for you if you do nothing about them. But at some point in time, Nancy had to go, I'm going to step into this idea. I'm actually going to find out what it takes. I'm going to move towards this idea. And then 150 years of education later, she's there. And if this is true, if what I just said is true, then the dreams, not all of them, because some of those are pizza dreams, but then the dreams that are alive on the playground of your imaginations are more real to where God wants to take you than your present circumstances. Than your present circumstances. I didn't read a whole book till I was 21. My first book that I ever read, and, and, and I began to aspire to be a speaker. And, and somebody said this, to be well spoken, you must be well read. And I thought, well, giddy up. I should. If it didn't have pictures till I was 21, I didn't, I didn't crack a book. And so I remember, I remember I'm 21 and I want to be a communicator. That's all I knew I wanted. And so I went and got a very important book, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. And I had a goal. Okay, you're going to think I'm an idiot. And I was an idiot. Actually, I'm still an idiot. Um, <laughs> but I'm really likable. Um, and I made a goal to, to read an entire chapter in a week. You, you got to know reading, man, that was hard work for me. And at the end of the week, and sometimes even before I finished the first book, I'd read more than a chapter in a week. And I would give myself a permission to celebrate. This is a win. Yes. Whoa. Killing it. <laughs> and then I read the next book. And the next book. And the next book. And the next book. And all of a sudden, I've developed this insatiable appetite for, for reading, for knowledge. And like I've, I've said it before, I read one to two books a week. And I've been doing that since I was in my 20s. And I'm old. And something that I dreamt of when I didn't have the capacity to do it has become my reality, has become my destiny. And in the same way that God put desires in me back then, he's still putting desires in me because I'm not dead. And I'm dreaming and I'm moving towards them. Sometimes I think that the dreams that are in our heart, it's, it's, it's like you, you, you throw them into the future and you say, wait there, I'm coming. I'm coming. We are going to meet in the days ahead. In Genesis chapter 12, um, the Bible tells us that God comes to a man by the name of Abraham. And he says, I want to bless you. I want to make you a great nation. Uh, I'm going to do some things through you. I'm going to bless the earth through you. Um, but you, you need to leave your family and go to a country that you've never even heard of. You don't even know about it, but I know where it is. And I'm going to get you there. And, and the interesting thing is that we don't really know how all of this was communicated. It just says that he's, God said. Um, but one thing we do know, because Abraham is a human being, that something that began in his brain dropped to the canvas of his imagination. And when a thought drops to the canvas of your imagination, something incredible happens. It goes from being a flat thought to a living thing. 
breathing and living. I don't know, do you have a good imagination? My imagination is epic. There are things go on in here. I can have a party all with myself, just, just playing with ideas and what if, and then what if, and then what if. And even my sense of humor in here, the unrated one, is hilarious. It's so funny. You don't even know it's so funny. Because it, 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 it's living and breathing and pulsating with life. And so he invites Abraham into this great story. What if God came to Abraham and what if the, 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 the conversation sounded something like this? God comes to Abraham and he says, hey, Abe, can you imagine if, 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 if Sarah wasn't barren? Can you imagine if your barren wife gave birth? Could you imagine? Could you imagine what it'd be like as like a hundred year old guy playing with a boy, a son? Oh, I know. Could you imagine if we called him Isaac? Could you imagine if your kids were numbered like the sands of the sea and if your grandkids were rulers over nations and kingdoms? Could you imagine the whole human race being blessed because of you? And I think this is really important because God is not saying, can you implement, can you plan it, can you achieve it? He's only asking, can you entrust possibilities to God that, that go beyond your capacity, your own capacity to construct and control? Can you trust God to drop a dream in you that is way bigger than you? Because if it's a God dream, it is bigger than your capacity. Every dream that he puts in you is bigger than you. And God wants to hold us in this sacred place of can you imagine? And that's where the spirit of God takes desires, dreams, ideas, and, and, and he brings them to life inside of you. And I believe that, that, that God, by the way, because Abraham said, okay, uh, I think I can imagine that. And because he could, or he chose to, the Bible says God counted it unto him for righteousness. See, and I believe God wants to hold you in that place of can you imagine? You know why? Because that is a place of hope. That is the place of hope for you. And God says to Abraham, can you imagine? And But Abraham didn't say, he didn't just say yes. At first, there, there, he said yes, but. Yes, but. And when you say yes, but, it's like saying no. He said, yes, but she's barren. Yes, but she's old. Yes, but I'm old. Yes, but this doesn't make sense. This isn't rational. And when yes, but governs your lives, you resist God's power for newness in you. When yes, but, when that but gets in there, it is your way of actually resisting the new thing that God wants to do in you. And, and he wants to do a new thing, but so many of us go, but you know what? The last thing I did, I failed. The last relationship I had, I failed. The, the, the last step of faith didn't go so good, that failed. And see, the future is waiting for you right now, for all of you, for all of us. 
And my concern so often is that, that your past will steal your future. Is that your mistakes from the past, you, you look at them, you see this incredible thing that God's putting in your heart and in your mind and your imagination. And you keep looking at the stuff that hurts you in the past and say, yeah, 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 I'll pass. And when you do that, your past steals your future. So many of us are living lives trapped by epic failures. We're trapped by crippling losses or words that were spoken over us. Whether you realize it or not, this present moment, this moment right now, sitting in church, this present moment, is either a womb or it's a tomb. It's a womb. If you will take these things that are alive in you, these things that give you hope, these things that give you energy, and if you step into them, and you figure out what, just you don't have to take a big step, but take a step. Read Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, for Pete's sake. Take a step. If it takes you a whole week to read one chapter, take a step. It will be a womb. You want it to be a tomb? Just write it off as just another one of your crazy ideas and do nothing with it. There it becomes a tomb. God comes to the Hebrew people in Jeremiah 29 and he says, listen, I know you've lost a lot and I know that there's a whole lot of uncertainty in this moment, but I have something for you. I have a hope for you and I have a future for you. And I think God comes to us today and he says, I have a hope for you. Do you, do you, you know what the future, um, what the future uh, feels like when it's birthed in you? It feels like hope. And it's important to know what it feels like inside of you because then you know what to walk towards. You always walk towards hope. And it's interesting, and this is my second point, and this one's a lot shorter. Um, God blessed Abraham in the next 25 years in every way imaginable. He, he gave him wealth, unspeakable wealth. He blessed every area of his life except for the one area that mattered to Abraham. For 25 years, Abraham, 25 years he exercised patience. 25 years of endurance. 25 years of hoping against hope. And then finally God gave him what he promised. He gave him a son. And his name was Isaac. And that brings us back to this passage in Colossians Maybe that's why Paul said we can continually ask God for you to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And I, when I read that, I just stopped there and I thought, wow, what? He's invoking all God's power, all of his might. What great thing must he be invoking this, praying for this, releasing it to them? And Paul's praying and releasing the same divine power to the Colossians that God gave to Abram when he invited him into this great story. He said, this is it. So that you may have great endurance and great patience. Big deal. Great endurance and great patience. In this passage, Paul is saying, in order to live a life worthy of the Lord, in order to please God in every way, bear fruit in every good work, and grow in the knowledge of God, you need two muscles. And without these two muscles, you are just a pretty face. Without these two muscles, you're a dream that is going to die inside of you. 
and its endurance and its patience. Patience is so not sexy. You know what is a fruit of the spirit and it is born in you and developed in you through hardship, through putting your head down and just keeping on, keeping on. And some of you think God's punishing you when actually he's maturing you. Because to be a mature person, you have had to develop patience in your life and endurance. James says this, he says, the person who possesses endurance and patience lacks nothing. At some point in time, you have to learn how to be okay with his timing. I got things inside of me I got dreams inside of me that I thought would have already been fulfilled in my life. But they haven't. And so I'm just going to walk in what I know, but I never stop declaring over my life those things that are in my heart. I thank God on a regular basis for the things that are in my heart. And I said, I don't, I don't know when you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to do it. But I'm thanking you in advance because that is going to be epic. That is going to be epic. I won't sit still on it. I move towards it every chance I can. I'm going to invite uh, the band to come on back up. I'm going to tell you one more story. I love the story. Um, you know who Steve Harvey is? You know who that is? He, I, I think right now he's hosting seven television shows, like game shows and some talk shows and and uh, he's, he's got seven of them on the go right now. Apparently, he's one of the hardest working guys in, in television. When he was 10 years old, he told the story. I, I, I heard him tell the story. So after the show, after every one of these shows, he, he does a post-show talk with the, the studio audience. Um, when the show's over, he just gets up there and just talks to them. And in this one that I was listening to, one of them, on YouTube, and he, and he goes, you know, I'm no preacher. I am a Christian. He said, not a very good one. Uh, he said, maybe a two out of 10, but, but he said, I want to talk to you about some stuff. And his talks are so funny, and they're so inspiring. And, and he gets going in them, and then his language goes left and right, and you, it is just so beautiful. It is so real and raw. Um, and he talked about when he was 10, that in a school assignment, he had to um, write down what he wanted to be as an adult. And he, he wrote down on a piece of paper that he wanted to be in television, that he was going to be on TV. And his teacher just about, just about laughed in his face because when he was 10, he had such a terrible stutter problem that he barely spoke when he wasn't in his house. When he wasn't in the safety of his own family, he, he, he was so embarrassed by how badly he stuttered that he didn't speak. But uh, he was talking about how when he was uh, 27, this is in 1985, he was 27 years old, um, he walked into the very first comedy club. He'd never been in one before. And there was a gal there that, that went with him, and she thought he was really funny. So she said, really, dude, you need to sign up. And you know how it goes. They're just amateur acts. You sign up, you do your thing, and then they do an applause check at the end, and whoever gets the best applause wins 50 bucks. And he said, I didn't want to do it. This is a new world for me. And he said, but because she dared me, I wrote my name down. And somewhere before the night was out, 
in between acts, a guy comes up on stage. He goes, listen, if Steve Harvey's in here, do you want to just meet me at, at, you know, at, the, at the desk at the front? And Steve Harvey is so caught up in the moment. He goes, he says to the girl, he goes, there's a dude in here with the exact same name as me. What are the chances of that? And she said, you idiot, that's you. You go there. And the guy said, we had one of our acts didn't show up. And uh, one, you're down for next week, but we thought, give you a chance. We can give you the mic tonight. And he said, all right. And he is really, really funny. So he just starts telling some stories and the place loves him. They just go crazy and he wins 50 bucks. They're driving back to, his, to their town and he starts crying. And she said, what in the world are you crying for? He said, I, tonight, I discovered what, what God put me on the planet for. He said, I'm funny. I've always been funny. He said, I'm supposed to be a comedian. And so he goes to work the next day, quits his job, and then starts pursuing a career in comedy. He said, wasn't the brightest move he's ever made because he spent the next three years living homelessly. He lived in his car. He, he slept in his car for three years. He, he, he had a bag of charcoal in the back of his car and a fishing rod. And when he's going from comedy club to comedy club, gig to gig to gig, he said in his first year, he made $3,400 all year. In his second year, he made $4,700 all year. In his third year, he made $5,300 all year. And he said, so I was hungry. He said, there were days I didn't eat. And he said, but I, I knew how to fish. And so anytime I drove by a pond or drove by a lake, he said, I get, I'd go fishing. Not for sport, but for food. He said, and then I drive by a campground. You know those metal grills that they have in the campgrounds? He said, I, I brought charcoal with me. And he said, and I'd start a fire and I'd cook fish. And that's how I survived. And he said, but what happened over three years, time after time, he said, I'd be fishing on somebody's property in their pond. And he said, they'd run me off. He said, they'd run me off like a third class citizen. He said, they'd run me off. And in the middle of that season of my life, he said, I made a decision. He said, one day I'm going to own my own dirt. One day I'm going to own my own land. And nobody, nobody's going to run me off. He had nothing but time on his hands. And so he, he found out that there's uh, 36 billion acres of land on the earth. And in 1985, there's about 6 billion people. So, so he figured we'd divide it all up. Everybody should get six acres. And he said, God, I don't want it all. I just want my share. And he began to dream about having a six acre parcel. 11 years go by. By the way, the Bible says it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. 11 years go by and he gets on television and he starts making some money and he saved up $250,000 and he went to buy some land. The first piece of land he went to, he thought it was beautiful. And there was a pond on it and there were trees on it and it was gorgeous. And, and, and he asked the guy, how much land do you got here for sale? And he said, it's six acres. And he said, um, and how, how much do you want for your land? He said, $600,000. And he said, but I only got, a, you know, $250,000. And so he moved on. He said, you might want to talk to, um, to Jerry over there. He, I, and so he goes to this Jerry's place, who's a hillbilly, an old hillbilly, 
who, who basically became a mentor to Steve Harvey. And, and, he, and, and, and they're talking and he said, he'd never seen such beautiful land. It went on forever. There were three lakes on the property. And he, Jerry says to Steve, how much are you gonna pay for land? How much money you got? He said, I got a quarter of a million dollars. And Jerry says, you know, it's interesting because I'm a little, I'm in a pinch at the moment. And he said, if you bring me $250,000 in cash tomorrow, I'll sell you the land. And Steve Harvey brought him $250,000 cash and he bought this land, 16 acres of land, 16 acres of land that he could fish it. And he said, nobody will ever run me off of my own land again. And he said, and God gave me the very desires of my heart. It took 11 years. And through faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. I promise you this, whatever God has promised you, it will come through process. It will come through process, a process by which you mature so that you can possess the very things and you can steward the very things that he's given to you. Patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's what you're doing while you're waiting. And that's why my very last point is God says, Paul says, and giving joyful thanks to God who qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Can I encourage you with this? While you're waiting, you can grumble or you can start thanking by faith. You can grumble and that, that just makes you a grouchy person. And that does nothing to move you forward. That's, you know what, you just go around the mountain again again and again. Sometimes every one of us has to worship by faith, right? Sometimes you come in here and your life sucks. You know, your dog left you, your boyfriend left you, your horse left you, your truck left you, everything left you. you you're, you're in a terrible way. And you come in here and, 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 and you begin to shout unto the Lord, but it's by faith because you don't feel like it. Pay attention to the dreams that he's put in your heart. For some of you, you're waiting for the right man. The Bible says this, weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And the morning's coming. The morning's coming. You wait. Don't be passive. Some of you waiting for the right wife. I'm telling you what, she's there, she's alive. She's there. And you can grumble and you complain or you can start thanking God in advance. Right? Why don't we stand together and we'll pray. So there's two people that I really feel, I felt, I was hoping this, this talk would inspire. The people in the room that um, you've got a dream, you've had a dream, but it's gone to sleep. It's gone to sleep. It's hibernating because it didn't come to pass the, the way you thought and when you thought. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will take some of these words and that, 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 that he will literally breathe into the nostrils of your dream and it will start to, the heart will start beating again and there'll be a pulse. And the second group that I really, are those who you've been waiting a long time and you just think that God's left you. He hasn't left you, you're right on target. He's maturing you. 
He's getting you ready to be able to host the gift that he's put inside of you. He's getting you ready to be able to steward that thing. And it doesn't matter. And, and he knows what he's doing. He who began a good work in you, he said, will complete that work. Father, today, we say thank you for your word. Thank you for the beautiful things that you're doing inside of our hearts. Thank you, God, that the dream that's inside of us is bigger than we are. Because that's the kind of God you are. You're bigger than we are. And you can do more than we think. I pray for those that are wrestling with what to do with their lives. And Jesus says, they just give them wisdom to be sowing some decent seed in their souls and allowing that to, to, to be the, the fuel for their imagination. And for those, Father, who are struggling, who came in here because they're in the middle of a very hard time in their lives. All you have to do is get through today. That's all. You, you just get through today. Indeed, weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Thank you for that, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to audio from The House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.